Please stand with me, if you're able to stand. Stand with me, the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verses, verse 16, go through verse 24. We're going to concentrate today on verses 22 through 24. I want you to pay attention to the two different kinds of people in this passage. The two different choices for how you are going to live. And if God is, will help you to see, maybe you could even consider what kind of life you're living. Which one of these lists describes you? Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Here's the first list. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the second list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You may be seated. So last week from Psalm 1, there were two ways to live. This week from Galatians 5, two different kinds of life. Verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh are given to us to help us to see how it is you and I will live. And how many people live if God will not intervene. And stop us from just living for ourselves. And, and then we have this second list of the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 through 24. The, these are the qualities that come to characterize, this is good news, everyone, every single person who believes savingly in Jesus Christ. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And He doesn't just go to sleep or take a nap or whatever. He goes to work. And He's growing us in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. And the Apostle Paul has been wanting us with the church in Galatia to recognize that if we will just live by the flesh, which is just to live naturally, it's just to live automatically. If we will do that, it will lead to misery. And to the very person you would hate to be around, you will become. So that he, he's doing this so that we would turn again to Jesus. Trust him again. Cooperate with him in resisting ourself. And submit in all of life to the Holy Spirit. I hope everyone here, as we read this list and the fruit of the Spirit, will agree with me. If you look at that list compared to the other one, this list is a list of undeniably the best qualities that any person could have. And I want you to know, Jesus had every one of them. More than anyone who ever lived. What I want to convince you of this morning, no matter what you thought of Jesus coming in, is that He is the best man to ever walk this planet. And to recognize that that matters for you. Just like it matters for me. What I'm saying is what you do with the best man who ever lived. It matters for your life. Jesus's life was full of the spirit's fruit. That's a summary of what I'm going to lay out today as we. Take a different look at Galatians 5, 22 through 24. Jesus's life was full of the Spirit's fruit. You could say he was the man of the Spirit. He is the man of the Spirit. One, one author, Mark Jones, said this. The Spirit who was sent to us, which is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5, was first on Christ. Why? To create a master copy of the religious and the spiritual life of the Son that the Spirit then gives to the elect, those who have the unique privilege of being those who believe in Jesus Christ. He is the master copy. And so this morning, on Easter Sunday, what I want to lay out for us is a vision for our life. By looking at the life of this one who God raised from the dead. Point number one. Jesus depended on the spirit. This is what I want you to know about the one we're celebrating. Jesus depended on the Spirit. If you're going to 
really celebrate today. The good news. Not of a fun holiday like like I knew for so many years. But the good news of Easter. Then then we have to start with. Who it was. Who died on Good Friday. Who it was. Who was dead on Holy Saturday. Who is it. Who got up on Resurrection Sunday. I don't know if you came to church today wanting doctrine. Or even deep truths. But you're going to get it. Consider it. My Easter gift to you. Two things. Number one, Jesus Christ is God and man. That's who he is. He is fully God. He is fully man, but he's one person. Here's another way to put it. The second person of the Trinity wasn't just wearing human skin. Like, like some creepy, you know, Halloween costume that he, he put on before coming. Here's another misunderstanding. He, he didn't leave when he left home. He didn't leave his godhood behind. And also, he's not a demigod like you might have heard of in Hercules or in Greek mythology where he's part, you know, this and part that. Like he's got the heart of God, but he's got the body of man. That's not it. He's not some Franken God. God the Son, who existed eternally as spirit, took on the flesh of man to become the God-man. That's the first thing. The second thing, as truly and fully man, God, the Son, depended on God, the Spirit. This is absolutely essential. One, because God just keeps on saying this over and over about Jesus, but you need to understand it and why. That's important. Because he cannot save us if he, if he didn't do this. Jesus first had to qualify. He, he took on the weakness of our flesh without the sin of our flesh. But he took on real weakness in our flesh. He faced real temptation in the flesh. And he did not give in to that temptation. And because of that, he is able to save anyone who has given in to any temptation. But he had to depend upon God the Spirit and not just himself in order to do it. Well, the only reason to say this is if God has said it. And listen to what God has said. Jesus depended on the Spirit. From the moment he was conceived. Listen it says in Luke chapter 1. The Holy Spirit says to uh, 
uh, it says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then the child will be born to you who is the Son of God. To be conceived, he depended upon the Spirit. But Jesus also depended upon the Spirit during his temptation. God the Son depended on God the Spirit in order to avoid sin. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He depended on the Spirit during his temptations. Jesus depended upon the Spirit throughout his teaching ministry. It says in Luke chapter 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit and he taught. You won't be surprised by now. To hear that he just kept on depending upon the Spirit in order to do all those miracles. It says in Luke chapter 7, Jesus said, the blind are receiving their sight and he knows who helped him do that. Because Isaiah chapter 42 said, I have put my Spirit upon the Savior to open the eyes of the blind. Or else he couldn't have done it. He wouldn't have done it. Jesus depended upon the Spirit. Not just in his life, but all the way through his death. God makes this explicit in Hebrews chapter 9. The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. On the cross, he was dying through the spirit. Offering himself to God without blemish. His blood through the spirit in order to purify our conscience. To make us clean. Jesus depended on God the spirit. And death didn't finish that. To defeat death. Romans chapter 1 tells us. The son of God was declared to be the king of David according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Or just consider what 1 Timothy 3 says. In this summary of the gospel, he came in the flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit. That is when he died according to the flesh. He was vindicated and and shown to be right by the spirit of God. Jesus depended upon the Spirit in all of his life. Mark Jones says this again. Christ's obedience in our place needed to be real obedience from a man. Jesus did not cheat by relying on his own divine nature. Rather, he received and depended upon the Holy Spirit. Humanity needs Help from God. You need help from God. Because you're a human. Because you're a human and I'm a human. We need to depend upon God. And trust God. And so Jesus. Like the humans he came to save. Should do. Jesus did do. He depended On the spirit. And that really. That point. Jesus depended on the spirit. Is really just to prepare us for the second one. 
Jesus' life was full then of the Spirit's fruit. Point number two, Jesus displayed the Spirit's fruit. He, because He depended upon the Spirit in all of His life, in all of His life, it is full of these fruits that we just read in verses 22 and 23. Jesus is the man of the Spirit who is full of the best qualities this world has ever known. So let's just consider for the rest of our time each one of these. Jesus' life was full of love. Do you understand? Love may be a common term in this world. It is a very common thing in this world. Or uncommon thing in this world. Real love. This is a world focused upon self. It's self, isn't it? In verses 19 through 21. Self. That leads to sexual immorality. Self that leads to enmity and strife and jealousy and dissensions and rivalries and fits of anger when they won't do what I want. Self that learn leads to envy of not, not, not wanting others to have anything good. That's what is common in this world. It's not love. And then Jesus comes to this world and he says this amazing thing. To people who are not accustomed to loving anybody. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. It's impossible. Jesus commands Christians to do what is impossible in this world. To love our enemies. And he does not command us to do anything he did not do. And he loved to the full. There's a real sense in which everyone was his enemy. Everyone had disobeyed him. And his love for them was not just some internal feeling or just not giving them the face that he's really thinking about the people that that he doesn't like so much. Like we would call our love, perhaps when we hear love your enemies, we think, well, let, let, let me get rid of these hard feelings toward them. Let me just not show them what I really think about them or whatever. It's not just in Jesus's love, refusing to badmouth other people. It is a settled commitment to do more than just one kind thing. He gave his life. So John 15 Jesus can say this, greater love has, has no one than this, than the one who lays down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus did. He laid down his life for his friends. But don't forget who the friends are. The friends are those who this is also true of in Romans chapter 5. It was those who were weak, those who were ungodly, those who were not like Jesus and didn't want Jesus. And he says, you might, you might choose to die for someone who you think is good, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners and hated him. That is when Jesus died for us. 
His life is full of love, Christian. Christian, listen, look at me. His life is full of love for particular people, for his friends. And if you're a friend of Jesus, Jesus loves you now. He loved you then, and he loves you now. He loves you now. Jesus' life was full of love, but Jesus' life was also full of joy. I have to define joy. You may throw this term around a lot. A lot of people use this term. Let me correct maybe some of your misunderstanding about that term. You just use it for happiness. It's not just happiness. Joy is a special brand of happiness. And if you don't know Jesus, it's impossible for you to know joy. Because this is a, this is a happiness of soul. That in the Bible is rooted in a trust in God. That's what you first need in order to have joy. A trust that God is doing good in your life, particularly through Christ. That's what joy is. The man of the Spirit was full of the spiritual fruit of joy. What could bring happiness of soul to such a man? I'm not going to guess. I'll just read for you from Hebrews chapter 12. It's already been referenced. Jesus, who for joy, for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to me. Jesus's soul was deeply happy when his own people lied about him. Mocked him. When Roman posers beat him, when he was crucified in a shameful and painful way on the cross, and we're told he had joy then because he trusted God has good for me in this. He's, God set out beyond the pain, beyond the shame. He despised the shame of the cross. He endured the pain of the cross because there was a joy set before him that God would then seat him at his right hand and he would have all authority and he would be back with his father and the spirit in heaven and that God would use the cross to save his beloved. That's what gives this man joy. What kind of man is this? Who we have come to celebrate today. Who do you think Jesus is? You don't know anyone like him. You don't know anyone like him. Who gets joy. By dying for others. And who's able. To gain everything. By giving up everything. So. Have you come today. Believing in him. But struggling deeply. Are you struggling With great sadness? Can it affect your joy? That he took joy? 
and saving us. Jesus' life was full of joy and also full of peace. We're just not paying attention if this isn't shocking. His life was full of peace. That's what people say at the pageants. What do you want? I want the impossible. Everyone's wished for it, wanted for it, worked for it, doesn't get it. Because this is a peace-breaking world. That's why verse 20 makes perfect sense to us. The world of the flesh is filled with just synonym after synonym of people finding as many ways as possible either to break peace with the people in their life or to fake peace with the people in their life. That's this world. It's not our Lord. Jesus never broke fellowship. With anyone. Jesus never did wrong to anyone. Jesus never did anything to hurt his relationship with his father. He lived a life of I came to do not my will, but the will of him who sent me. And that was even in the Garden of Gethsemane when the will of the him who sent him. Told him to go and take on sin of the whole world. And he said, I'll do it. He wouldn't break fellowship with the father. What's amazing, though, is he never broke peace with all the haters. And he was he was surrounded by nothing but haters. Even his disciples were weak and doubting and he never did anything wrong to any of them. Beloved, we're celebrating today because out of his spirit filled peace, he has made peace for us. Who broke peace with him. He has solved by his cross. Any threat to our peace with God. He, he's, he's finished everything we need to be at one with God. Everything we need to be reconciled with God. He has made peace. So full of peace. That he's able to give a life full of peace. To make peace with people who had no peace. But enmity with God himself. And now there's nothing but love and mercy from him. And he offers even resources to us today, not just to remain at peace with him, but to make peace with those who even would deeply wrong us. This is the one we worship. Jesus, whose life the the scriptures are just so clear, is so full of patience. He's so full of patience. Who was provoked more than Jesus of Nazareth? You, you, you may be someone who's provoked often, easily offended. Would you argue that you were provoked more than Jesus of Nazareth? Whose own mother, whose own brothers uh, accused him of being a lunatic? For thinking too highly of himself by having all those people in there who he's teaching and not not even taking time for lunch. And they called him crazy. Who, who was provoked more than Jesus of Nazareth, who was called demonic 
by people whose righteousness was a sham. Who was more provoked than Jesus of Nazareth, who was betrayed by Judas, who he invited in, who got to actually know Jesus and walk with him? Who, who was provoked more than even Peter, the man who so proudly said, if everyone fall, uh, leaves you, I would never leave you. Not me. And there he is. When Jesus is being wrongly accused and mistreated, his greatest champion. Who was provoked more than Jesus? Who was blasphemed by priests who accused him of blasphemy? Is anyone more provoked than the man of the spirit when he was punished by puppet rulers? King Herod, what a joke. He had no authority. Pontius Pilate, what a coward. Provoked. Provoked. While experiencing excruciating, that's where we get the word on the cross, excruciating pain. Being mocked by people. He said he would save others. He cannot even save himself. Does anyone forbear like the Lord Jesus? Bear up under the provocation of sinners. Bear up under the people who even profess to love him. He's full of patience, beloved. And he will be patient for you whenever you don't think about him the way that you should. He's patient and you need him to be patient whenever you try to Pressure everyone in your life to to focus on you and worship you. He's patient whenever we're even slow to believe in him and obey him. And we fail again and again and again. This is the one we worship. A man who is full of patience. For all of our failings, all of our weakness and all of our stubbornness. Jesus's life was full of, and I'll put three together, kindness, gentleness, and goodness. Each one of these relates to His humility that led the Lord Jesus to consider other people important. Can you imagine? Who is more important than God the Son? No one. No one. He never entered a room Where anyone was more important than him. And yet when we watch the Lord Jesus. Walk through his life. He seems to act like everyone is more important than him. God came to live in a world. That degraded women. That used women. Jesus was kind to them. Jesus was kind to the prostitutes. Jesus was gentle with the woman who was caught in her adultery. Jesus was kind to that, to that woman who was just an offense to everyone around her because she had this issue of blood. And he stops and he heals her. His own students who knew him best chastised him. They were not kind, gentle, or good. Whenever children came to him, whenever the crippled 
Tried to stop him from whatever he had planned that day. But not Jesus. Jesus brings his compassion and his power to do them good. And then the thief on the cross is mocking him. He deserves to die. Jesus doesn't deserve to die. He's being mocked on the cross. And Jesus looks to him. When he turns in faith to Jesus and says, you're going to have paradise with me. I'll give it to you today. Whenever they said, if you will, you can heal me. He said, I will. I will. Because he's kind, gentle, and good. This one we celebrate today, but every day. And we can count on him. That he will be generous and humble to us sinners whenever we need him and however we need him. Jesus' life was full of faithfulness. The, the Part of what that means is that he can be trusted and God knew it. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 1, all God's promises are yes in Jesus. All God's promises are amen in Jesus. If you want to, if you love a promise that God has made, and there's so many good ones, don't you know they can't be kept apart from Jesus? Only Jesus can be trusted with them. And yet in Jesus, they're all amen. When, when John had that fu- uh, vision of the future in Revelation chapter 9, when that great scroll that represented all God's good promises to save his people and all God's good promises to vindicate his name and judgment of his enemies, and his people were watching, having heard God call out in all the earth, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is faithful to be trusted with all of my good promises? And no one was found. And so the Apostle John wept. His whole life was over if God's promises aren't kept. And then someone said, weep no more. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And he can open the scroll. He's faithful. He's faithful. And so God trusts him. And you can trust him if God trusts him. If he makes a promise, bet your life on it. He's faithful. Full of love. Full of joy. Full of peace. Full of patience. Full of kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Jesus' life, finally, was not full of self-control. Jesus' life was not full of self-control. Because the word self here that needs to be controlled is the one that if it is not controlled would do all the works of the flesh. The word self here that, that you need and I need is a self that is defined by desires that are opposed to God. By passions of the flesh that every one of us has that has we have to tell ourselves no all the time because if we don't tell ourselves no we'll have to say no to God it takes the spirit of almighty God to bring a believer under the control of God that's not true of Jesus Jesus never needed self control his entire self was under the control of God 
His whole life was not my will, but your will be done. Let me tell you something. I'm saying he's the man of the spirit. I'm also saying that God calls each one of us to live by the spirit, which is to say we are to be just like Jesus. If you're here today and wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? What does a life look like that is going to heaven? What is it? I'll tell you one way to think about it is, is to be perfectly in relationship with God, to relate to God perfectly. What I mean is, you know what your role is and you know what his role is. That's what it means to be saved. What it means to be lost is to not depend on God and to not defer to God, but instead to depend upon yourself and to trust yourself and what you want and always think you're right. That's what it means to be lost. To have self as God. And Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done to show us that's what it means to be perfect. I won't ask for a show of hands of anyone who thinks they've depended upon God perfectly. But I will tell you, you have to if you're going to be accepted by God. That's his standard all the time. Jesus is the model man to show us who it is God will actually accept. Man is full of the fruit of the Spirit. That's who's going to heaven. That's who belongs in heaven. So let me just be really clear with you. God will not accept your works. And he will not accept my works. He will not accept your fruit. Even if at times you're loving. Even at times you make peace. Even if at times you're patient. He only accepts full fruit. A life that is full of fruit. And that means it's really bad news for us. If Easter isn't so. Why is it we need not just to hear about him one day a year, but instead to live our whole life hearing about him? Why do we need a savior to be the man of the spirit? Because we're not loving. We break peace all the time and God's offended by it. We're impatient, which means we're not like him. We're not kind. We're cruel. We're not gentle. We don't have self-control. We want to control him. That's what hell's for. But here we have this man. Who God accepts. And the good news of the gospel. Is that mean God will God will accept him for you. That's why he goes on to say in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That when Jesus was crucified for our flesh and our desires, for all of our failings and all of our sins and all of our imperfections, that when we believe in him, he did that for us specifically. 
And God says, this is the man I'll accept. So if he dies for your sins, then you don't have to die for your sins. And I will give you all of his life. And then he gives a spirit to make us like him. Beloved, this is what we celebrate. This one who doesn't just save us. He saves us to get him. We belong to him. And he is ours forevermore. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would cause each one here. To see the Lord Jesus in all of his fullness and perfection. To see the one you accept. To recognize you can't accept us on our own. But then to believe that you do accept his life for us. His death for us. And that by believing in him who was raised from the dead, we are brought to new life. That we can live a life that is filled with all the best qualities of our Savior. God, make us a church filled with that kind of fruit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.